I want to talk about something that, especially here in our American culture, we, uh, it's, not a, it's not a top 20 thing that we think about whenever we think about the Bible or, or the Lord or the church. Um, in fact, it's, it's kind of a concept that we've almost altogether forgotten in our American culture. And the, the topic, the conversation that we want to have this morning is that on the, the topic of covenant. Covenant. In case uh, you weren't aware, what, what we were just doing was covenant. Because covenant at its very core gives us the idea of a relationship that God has initiated with us. In fact, if you read through your Bible from from Genesis, which we'll be reading from Genesis 15 in a moment, from Genesis all the way through the back of the book in Revelation, this idea and this concept of covenant covenant keeps popping up all throughout Scripture. And, and really, it's what ties the whole of Scripture all together. In Genesis, from the very beginning of the book, we see that God, He speaks to man, and He initiates a relationship with mankind. With Adam in the Garden of Eden, he initiates a relationship. And then as you progress through the book of Genesis and you read a a lot about the the heroes of the faith, as we call them, we see that God, again, he initiates a covenant. He initiates a relationship with people. And then as we get towards the end of the book and start opening Matthew and, and start diving into the New Testament, we see that all of these covenants that God initiated in the Old Testament are now being fulfilled in the New Testament. And all of it, from cover to cover, points us to one man. Anybody know? Jesus. Jesus. I don't know if you've thought about it lately, but I think it would do us some good to think about it for just a moment. God wants a relationship with us. I know I want a relationship with God. You would have to be a fool to not want a relationship with the living God. You would have to be a fool to come into a moment like we're in right now in this place and say, nah, I don't want it, don't need it. You would have to be foolish to say that. The truth is we serve a living God who is great and greatly to be praised. I know I want a relationship with him, but listen to me, church. He wants a relationship with you. And that is expressed so vividly from cover to cover in this wonderful book. But I do think that a lot of times we, in fact, I was talking to our our middle school Sunday school class this morning. So a lot of times, you know, you'll open the Bible, especially if you open it into the Old Testament. And you'll read a story, and you just think, there's that. Like, okay, <laughs> what do we do with that information? I don't know if you've ever uh, read the story, but there's a story in Judges chapter 3. It's, it's kind of a, a violent and gruesome story about a king who was uh, wildly overweight, and uh, he gets assassinated. And you just like open, if you were just to open the Bible to Judges chapter 3 and read this story, you would think, what in the world? And I'm I'm not going to read it right now, but you can go and read it later. It's got some really gross details that you just think, God, couldn't you have just left that part out? Like, why is that in here? And if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, then a lot of it's going to feel that way. It's going to feel so disconnected and, and, your brain just kind of tries to make sense of the, the, the laws and the stories and sheep and, and mountains and, and all these different characters, hundreds of, of characters in this plot line from Genesis through Revelation, and you can kind of get lost. But let me tell you, there's one, one concept that flows throughout the entirety of Scripture that ties it and binds it all together, and it's this idea of covenant, this idea of covenant. And so this morning I want to talk for just a moment about this covenant. Covenant. Uh, here in America, we, we don't really use that word very much anymore. Uh, in fact, there's really only one thing that I can think of where we use this word 
uh, semi-frequently. Uh, can anyone tell me what, what occasion that might be where we hear this word covenant? At a wedding. At a wedding ceremony. We think of a covenant whenever we think of a wedding ceremony, but in most of our day-to-day lives, we don't really consider what this idea of covenant is. In America, we're real business-oriented. We know all about complicated business laws and, and contracts and, and legal liabilities, and, and we're, we're so focused on these things that are written on paper. But can I tell you today, a covenant is more than just a legal agreement It's an agreement that is built on relationship. Now, here in America today, I think a lot of people have the idea that even a marriage can be a a business decision. In fact, for a lot of people, marriage is just that. It's a business decision. You can file jointly if you're married, and, and you can, you know, save money economically if you're married, and and there's all sorts of decisions and thoughts whenever it comes to this idea of marriage, but can I tell you something? According to the Word of God, this is more than just a business decision that we make. We are entering into a covenant. See, in a business decision, you can come to an agreement, write it all down on paper, sign your names, have witnesses, and and all of these things, and, and say, if I was to join with you as a business partner, and I didn't hold up my end of the deal the contract would be nullified. It'd be void. I'm not holding up my end, so you're no longer obligated to, to hold up your end. And I think a lot of times, even in the marriage context, we think of it this way. Well, if my spouse doesn't hold up their end of the deal, then I'm not obligated to hold up my end either. But the Bible tells us that covenant is different. It's not built on paper and ink. It's built on relationships relationship. It's not one where you think, well, they, they haven't done good by me, so I can just walk away. In fact, I want to read what the Lord says about covenant in Malachi chapter 2. They'll put it up on the screen for you. Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. This is what God says. Here's another thing you do. He's talking to the priests at this time. He says, you cover the Lord's altar with tears weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows, or that word is also translated covenant. It's the Hebrew word berit. The Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage covenant, marriage vows, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So he gives him instruction. Guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. And then he says something that's kind of shocking here. And it might hit at the core of who you are a little bit. He says in verse 16, this is God speaking, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife, here's why he hates it. And and for so long, I I used to, to read the scripture and think, you know, God hates people who get divorced. That's not what it says. Let's stop right there, just a minute. God does not hate people who get divorced. He hates Divorce. Why? He tells us. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. If you ever see something in the word of God where God says, I hate or don't do this, the reason why isn't because he's just, you know, wanting to to find someone to get onto like a you know, a parent that's just angry all the time. No, no, no. The reason is because he doesn't want to see you hurting. I hate divorce. Why? Because I don't want to see my children hurting. Come on, someone just look at your neighbor and say, we've got a good God. We've got a good God. Now, there are all kinds of agreements that are 
made in the Bible, but whenever it comes to covenants, God is serious about them. I'm not here to give a marriage counseling session or anything like that. What I'm here to do is, is tell you that covenants are special. They're sacred to the heart of God. And whenever we enter into covenant, it's more than just a business agreement. It's a binding relationship. And it's important for us to know that because do you want to guess who the most or who the first covenant maker was? In the Bible, who was the first covenant maker? God. Yes, well done. Good job. Guess who the second covenant maker was? God. Guess who the third covenant maker was? Actually, it was a guy named Abram and Abimelech, and they were having a dispute about a well. But guess who the fourth covenant maker was? God. Yes. Guess who the most frequent covenant maker in the Bible was? God. Why? Because from Genesis through Revelation, he wants us to understand that he is a God who wants relationship with his creation. He wants relationship with us. That's why we can come to church on a Sunday morning in 2023 and say, hang on, we need to wait here for a minute. Because why? We have a God who wants to have relationship with us. It's revealed all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture. He's just so good. So good. In fact, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament of, of four Big covenants that God makes, and we give them fancy names in the, the uh, Bible scholar realms. Uh, the Noahic covenant, God made a covenant with Noah that he would never again flood the earth. Gave him a sign. There's a ceremony there. And every covenant has three things. It has ceremony, it has agreement, and it has symbols. Ceremony, agreement, and symbols. And so God makes these covenants with people in the Old Testament. He made one with Abraham. And we're going to read about that here in Genesis chapter 15 in just a moment. He made a covenant with Moses and the people of Israel. He makes a covenant with David, telling David that one day from your line is going to come a king who will rule and reign eternally. And all throughout Scripture, God gives or God initiates these covenants with his people. Because he's a relational God. He is good and he wants relationship. My point number one today is what, what is covenant? It's, it's just that. It's God entering into relationship with humanity. Here's point number two. What is the purpose of covenant? So why, why do we have covenant? Why, why would God initiate this relationship how many of y'all know that, that, that I mean, we, we've already mentioned this. God wants a relationship. What kind of relationship has he invited us into? Anybody want to throw one relationship out there? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm a youth pastor. I'm used to kids talking all the time. I usually have to stop 20 times during service and say, be quiet. Give me your phone. You can't be on TikTok while we're preaching. <laughs> so if I, if I elicit some uh, response, you can feel free to just throw it out there. <laughs> just Don't worry. You're not going to hurt my feelings if you're talking at all. The purpose of covenant, obviously, is, is agreement. But the relationship that God has initiated, he's initiated several types. One is a father-child relationship. He calls himself our Father, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, our Father who is in heaven. He is our Father. We are his children. We've been adopted in. What other kind of relationship? He's called us his friend. His friend. We've got a friend-friend relationship. But a, one of the, uh, or another one we, we talk about is he is our teacher. We are his students. He's our teacher. We are his students. That's another relationship. But one we don't think about much here in America, I don't think, is this idea of a partnership with God. Ooh, 
Y'all ready? A partnership with God. When God created covenant, he created it to be a partnership. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably seen a a sand ceremony. Maybe at my wedding we did candles, you know, had the two candles lit, and we came and picked up the candles and brought them together to the center candle and lit one flame on a big candle. Uh, There's all kinds of symbols and ceremony and agreement that happens in weddings because it's a covenant, right? And, uh, And one of the things that we do, or they do more often now, is sand ceremonies. Represents one man and one woman who were completely separate individuals. And in this covenant that they are creating, they are becoming one. In fact, God said... In the beginning when he created Adam and Eve, he said, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they have become one. And we do these sand ceremonies and say, you know, look at all of these grains of sand. We, we put them all in there together and it's now just one unit of sand. And if you were to try to separate these colors again, First of all, you'd be there for quite a while. And this sand is so much more fine than the sandy sand we have here in East Texas. But if you were to try to separate this, you probably couldn't. Probably couldn't. And that's the way that that God views covenant. Let me tell you, that is a good thing. So many of us, we think, well, it's kind of hard for me to commit because what if? Can I tell you something today? If you enter into covenant with God, you can be sure that his covenant is not one that's going to try to pull back. His covenant is not one that's going to try to separate. This union that he has initiated and we have agreed to is one that is binding, built not on paper but on relationship relationship, and he has decided to partner with us, to join together with us to see his purposes in the earth fulfilled. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 19. It says, so the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. From the very beginning, Eve hadn't even been made yet. It's just Adam and God, and and what does he do? God creates, and he brings his creation to Adam. He partners with Adam and says, Adam, what are you going to call them? God could have made a name for them. Our Bibles tell us that he knows all of the stars in the heavens. He knows them all by name. I don't know if you've ever looked up any information about stars and galaxies and and planets and all the universe, but there's more stars than any human could ever count. We've got machines that cost billions of dollars floating around in space looking at stars, and they can't count them all, but God knows them all by name. Why couldn't he have named the animals? It would have been a simple thing for him to do. That's a bear. That's a cat. That's a rabbit. That's a platypus, right? He could have made it easy. But from the very beginning, his idea was, I want to partner with my creation. Come on, I want to partner with you. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but God did not put you here just so that you could just float around and and do whatever your mind can think of. He has placed us here because he desires relationship and partnership. You are a part of God's story. Wow. You know, that, that's, I think that's going to free someone today. I think that's just going to break some chains off of someone this morning. God wants to partner with you. Maybe I should say it this way. God's not scared of you. He ain't threatened by you. He's not worried about you. So many of us think, well, I'm, I don't feel like I'm worthy enough partner with God. 
Well, he already made a covenant with you. And if you agreed, he's not going to separate now. He's not going to turn back now. He's not going to up and leave right now. And you never have to worry about that. Ooh. Mm. Mm. God made covenant. God made covenant with us. If you're reading through the Old Testament, have, have any of you ever noticed the Old Testament's pretty long? <laughs> I read through the Bible at least once every year. And uh, getting through Leviticus is always my favorite. <laughs> I get to the last page of Leviticus and I'm like, woo! All right, home free from here. On the down here, downhill slope. It's a hard one to read. And then you go and you read through the prophets and you read some of the things that God told his people to speak to his children, Israel. And, and you're like, wow, that hurts a little bit. Like, wow, that's uncomfortable. And, and it goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And, and then you get to the New Testament. And if you're reading, you know, through the Bible in a year, you get to the New Testament and it just passes by like that. You're just like, my goodness, like this Old Testament is really, really long. Do you know why it's so long? You want me to tell you? The reason why the Old Testament is so long is because people, by our nature, are not good at keeping covenants. That's why it's so long. Listen, what God would do when he would initiate a covenant in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 He's speaking to Moses, initiating a covenant, and he says this. Now, therefore, if, someone say if, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then, someone say then, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. If, then. God created a covenant, and in this covenant, there's an agreement. If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then, then I will protect you. Then I will bless you. Then I will give you the land. But did Israel enter into this covenant? Yes, they did. Were they good about keeping this covenant? No, they were not. <laughs> they were terrible. And here's the thing. God's covenant promises are sure. You can take them to the bank. The problem was, most, not all of them, but most of the covenants that God initiated in the Old Testament were if-then covenants. If you will obey my voice, then I will bless you. Then I will protect you. But Israel didn't obey his voice. They didn't lean on him and trust in him. So what happened? They left God's covenant protection. They left God's covenant promise. And we see all throughout the Old Testament, Israel gets enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Once Israel gets out of Egypt, they wander around in the wilderness like chickens with their heads cut off for 40 years. I don't know if you've ever read that in your Bible, uh, but, but it tells us that the journey from Egypt to the promised land was not a long journey. I think it says something like what, 21 days or something like that. A 21-day walk. And they wandered around for 40 years. Why? Because they weren't good at keeping covenant. They were constantly walking away from God's promise and his protection of his covenant. And because of that, the Old Testament has story after story after story after story of the results of walking away from that covenant. But yet, throughout the Old Testament, we see God initiate another covenant. Initiate another covenant. Put bigger, better promises on another covenant. Try again with another covenant. Go to this person and make covenant again. So if you're ever reading through Judges 3 and you see a story of an overweight king who gets assassinated, and you're like, why is that in my Bible? Well, it's because it's telling us the story of a people who have wandered away from God and the results of having to deal with leaving God's protection. 
That's the Old Testament kind of in a nutshell. And throughout the Old Testament, it tells us that one day there will be another covenant. And we get to the end of Malachi in our English Bibles right here, and what happens? Nothing. This promised person has still not come. This new covenant has still not been initiated. And then 400 more years go by where, God, where people are wondering, God, where are you? You promised us a Savior. And then you flip the page. I'm so, y'all, I am so thankful to be alive in 2023. They're waiting 400 years. You just get to flip a page. Just, and we get to see and read about this new covenant. This new covenant. I'm so thankful for a God who has initiated covenants. John chapter 15, verse 15 says, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Why? Because I have told you everything the Father told me. See, most of, ooh, church, come on. This, if you've fallen asleep, I know I've been kind of studious today, but if you've fallen asleep, just wake up for just a second. Because most of us think that the relationship that we have with God is a master-slave relationship. Jesus said, no, no, no. Now, because of this new agreement, you are not my slave, you are my partner, my friend. Why? Because I'm sharing with you everything the Father has told me. Now I'm telling you, you come in. You're invited into this partnership relationship. Ooh! Mm. And so many of us are walking around like slaves, still tied up to an if-then covenant. Spoiler alert, the new covenant is not an if-then covenant. Woo-hoo! Mm. Mm. Mercy, mercy. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. You need to highlight this if you have not done it. In fact, you need to memorize this this week. If we're going to fast two days or two meals one day this week, I want to throw something else on there. Memorize Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 through 5 this week. It is good. Let's see it. Even before he made the world, God loved us, and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Get rid of that master-slave mentality. This is a partnership with God. Verse 5 says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. In advance. Let me just keep that up there if you would for just a moment. Listen to me. God's not waiting for you to get your life right, to figure things out before he decides on his relationship with you. He's not waiting on you to say the right words, to attend church a certain number of times in a year, to to evangelize a certain amount. No, no, no. Listen, all those things are wonderful. Do those things. Those are great. Do those things. But his mind is already made up on you. Come on. This covenant relationship is already extended and open to every single one of us in this room. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter when you were born, no matter who you've been around, no matter what your family did to you, no matter what you've said to anybody, the invitation, the covenant opportunity is open for you and for me. Come on. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. And he, this, listen, this is how. By bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Someone say through. Through. We're about to get into Genesis 15. Are you ready? But before we do that, let's read that last line. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. 
No. That's good. If you only had those two verses, if that is all you knew about God, just knowing those two verses is enough for you to live the rest of your life in worship and praise and adoration to our God. Come on. It's what he wanted to do. He wanted to adopt you. He wanted you to bring him to himself through Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean, through Jesus Christ? Well, we get an idea of what covenant is by reading one of the covenants God made in Genesis chapter 15. And I, I don't want to, to bore you or anything. If you could just hang on for just a moment, I want to read this entire chapter. Okay, it's, uh, what is that, 21 verses. Y'all with me? Y'all ready? It's good. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. Sometime later. Okay, let's stop right there real quick. <laughs> Let me tell you, anytime you're reading your Bible and you see something that says after this or therefore, uh, I've heard some pastors say if you see the words therefore, you need to know what it's there for, right? <laughs> we read this word right here, sometime later, sometime later what? Like what we're about to read is important for what has already happened. So I'm not going to read all of chapter 14. You're off the hook on that one. Uh, but let me give you a real quick rundown. Uh, Abram, who's, who God would change his name later to Abraham, uh, he has obeyed the voice of God, and he's moved to a land called Canaan. And God initiates a covenant with Abraham, Abram. And uh, in, in this move, though, Abram brought along his family, one of which was his nephew named Lot. And Lot was a lot of trouble for Abram. And, uh, but God had blessed Abram and Lot so much with so many sheep, they're looking around at the pastures and saying, hey, we're gonna, our sheep are going to eat this place clean unless we split up. Like, we've got to split our flocks up. You're going to have to go one direction. I'm going to have to go one direction. So Abram gives him a choice, which direction you want to go. Long story short, Lot chooses the place with a lot of grass, fertile plains, good, good crops everywhere. He takes his sheep to this place, and we find out that it's a place called Sodom. You might have heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. I said Lot was a lot of trouble, and he found himself in a lot of trouble a lot. And uh, so anyways, while he's there in Sodom, before God burns it to the ground, uh, <laughs> another fun story, um, a dispute arises between nine kings, nine kings, and they choose sides, five kings against four kings, and, and some of the kings invade the other kings, and, and it just so happens that these kings invaded Sodom, and the king of Sodom and his army ran in retreat, and Lot's sitting there like a sitting duck in Sodom. Wonder why he wasn't fighting? I don't know. Maybe you can theologically figure that out, but he's, he's not fighting, and so he hasn't retreated with the rest of the army. He's just there in Sodom, where he's always been. And he gets captured by an enemy king, and one of his servants runs and finds Abram, his uncle, and says, hey, Uncle Abram, uh, Lot has been captured. So Abram gathers together 318 guerrilla fighters, trained men. I assume he trained them. <laughs> and he goes and does a covert operation in the middle of the night to rescue his nephew Lot and their family and all of their possessions that were taken. And the raid is successful. He gets Lot, his family, and all their possessions and brings them back home. And sometime later, Genesis 15, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you. Can you imagine being Abram? You just took 318 guerrilla fighters, did a covert operation in the middle of the night. By the way, uh, ancient warfare wasn't done that way. You didn't attack at night. That was a no-no. But Abram did. He rescued Lot and his family and brought them back. And now 
I can imagine Abram is like, oh, snap. I just ticked off nine different kings. <laughs> They're going to be coming for all of us now. And God speaks to him and he says, Abram, don't be afraid. I will protect you. I will protect you. You're in my protection. Abram, do you remember I initiated a covenant with you? God doesn't even stop there. He says, I will protect you, and great will be your reward. Not only is he protecting him, he's going a step further and saying, I'm, I'm, I'll reward you. <laughs> you don't have to worry about a thing, Abram. But Abram replied, oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all of your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you have given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant of my household, will inherit all of my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. The reward, in other words, he's saying, God, I think it's great that you want to reward me, but really what good is it going to do because I don't have anyone to pass that along to. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir. For you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and gave him a visual illustration and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And look at verse 6. It's incredible. And Abraham believed the Lord. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. That's the first time you hear the word faith in the Old Testament. In fact, faith is not even a common word in the Old Testament. You don't hear a lot about faith until the New Testament. But he's showing us something here. Abram, you are in right relationship with me because of your faith. Not because you saved Lot. Not because you're a good man. But because you have faith. But notice this, the this, this story gets really interesting. You ready? Then the Lord told him, then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. Look what Abraham said. Abraham replied, Oh, sovereign Lord, how can I be sure? Okay, the story just took a turn. I don't know. I might read my Bible too slow. I don't know. Abraham had faith. God's like, I will give you a child. Uh, by the way, Abraham is in his 70s. <laughs> I'll give you a child. Abraham's like, okay, sounds great. Thank you. The Lord is like, hey, yes, you remember, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the land you were in to this place. This will be your possession. Abraham's like, well, how can I be so sure? Look what the Lord says. This is good. This is going to change your life. The Lord told him, Bring me a heifer. Bring me a three-year-old heifer. I want you to notice that Abram said, God, how can I be sure that you will give me this land? God's reply is, bring me a heifer. Okay? What does that mean? By the way, this is before God instituted the system of animal sacrifice. This is not an animal sacrifice that God is requesting. He says, bring me a three-year-old heifer. Bring me a three-year-old goat. Bring me a three-year-old ram. Bring me a dove and a young pigeon. That sounds like a recipe for a witch doctor. Doesn't it? He's, I mean, it's, it's, if you've never read your Bible and thought, that's kind of weird then I don't think you've ever read your Bible. God, how can I be sure? Bring me a cow. Bring me a sheep. Bring me a ram. Bring me a dove. Bring me a young pigeon. It better not be old. Bring me a young one. What does Abram do? He goes and gets it. Not only does he go and get it, but he already knows exactly what to do with it. How does he know what to do with it? Because if you read on, God never told, tells him what to do with it. But we see that Abram did. 
Verse 10, so Abram presented all these to him and he killed them. And then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. We don't know why, but that's an interesting fact. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. God, how can I be sure that you will give me this land? Bring me all these animals. Abram already knew what to do with them. He went and he got them just like God said. He brought them. He killed them. And then in the most nasty, gross, bloody scene you can imagine, he cuts the animals in half and lays them side by side. What are you doing, God? Let me tell you, Abram knew exactly what God was doing. He was initiating a covenant. Today in America, if we're going to initiate any type of agreement, it's going to be on paper. It's going to have to be notarized. It's going to have to go through all these channels to become a legal document. In the ancient Near East, this was their legal document. You're going to go get animals, you're going to cut them in two, and you're going to lay them on the ground. I want you to notice what happens, though. As Abraham did this, he's chasing off vultures that are coming. I mean, if you cut animals and they're in the sun and they're bleeding out, and I don't mean to be too gross to you. If you need to close your ears, you're welcome to. But he does all this. What is that going to attract? It's going to attract wild animals that want to eat that. So he's chasing off vultures. And then as verse 12 says, as the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep. And a terrifying darkness came down over him. I've never had sleep paralysis before. But from what I hear, this sounds a lot like sleep paralysis. Maybe it is and maybe it isn't. If the worship team wants to come, right now would be a great time while we're talking about sleep paralysis. You can come on up here. Um, But then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure. Abram is asleep. God says, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace, and you will be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. What's happening there? There's pieces of animals laying on the ground. And Abram is standing there chasing off vultures. He just did a covert military operation not long before this. He's exhausted. What does God do? God waits for him to fall asleep, a deep sleep. And then he starts speaking, Abram, you can be sure that you will inherit this land because this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to drive out the people from this land. Verse 17 says, After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. This story just got a little bit stranger. (laughs) Abraham went and got these animals. He cut them in two. He got ready for this covenant ceremony that was common back in this day. Only this time he's waiting on the living God to come and to walk between. The custom was to walk between, side by side, walk between the halves of the animals. And as you walk between, you're stepping on the blood of these animals as it has drained out of their bodies. And you're going through this bloody, horrifying trail. And in fact, if you want to read more about this, you can. In fact, I put it on the Bible app. If you've been following along in the Bible app, it's in Jeremiah. It tells about this type of covenant. And the idea is this. As you're walking side by side with your covenant partner, as you're walking side by side between the halves of the animals, you are signifying that if I break my end of this covenant, may my life, may my body be as that of the animals that are lying on the ground. That's pretty strong, isn't it? 
And if you break your end, may your faith be just like this heifer, be just like this goat, be just like this ram. Wow. But what happens, this is the best part. Are y'all ready? We're almost done here. Here's the best part. God told Abram to get ready for the covenant ceremony. And then Abram spent the rest of the day fighting off vultures, waiting on God to show up and to walk with him down that bloody aisle. But God waits until Abram falls asleep. And then my Bible tells me that God himself walks down the aisle alone. Why would he do that, church? Because he wanted to make a covenant. He wanted to create a partnership with all of the benefits that God had promised without Abram being put in danger of having to face the fate of the covenant animals that were laying on the ground. God is saying, this is what he's saying, I want to be in relationship with you. I want you to be in relationship with me. But I'm going to do all the work. I'm going to do all the heavy lifting. I'm going to take all of the responsibility. He says, this is an if-then covenant, but if you don't walk down the aisle, you're not bound. Oh, you're not bound to the fate if you break your covenant. Y'all want to know what that was? That was almost a 1,700-year prophetic word about what would happen when this new covenant came along. As Jesus is taken to the post and whipped and his blood comes out and as he is forced, a crown of thorns is forced upon his head and as he is nailed to a cross and as he's hanging there dying and a spear is stuck through his side and his body is broken what did Jesus do right before all of this he got with the disciples in an upper room in an upper room and he took the bread and he broke it and he said this is my body this is my body gave them the wine he said this is my blood Jesus carried my cross up that hill and he was hung between two thieves do y'all see the symbolism that God has given all throughout scripture here and as the blood is flowing there's only one person who is on that bloody trail. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Here's what he's saying. I want you to enjoy the benefits of a partnership with me without having the risk of being nailed on a cross yourself. He waited for Abram to fall asleep and then God himself walked alone. And I think I've got the scripture for it here. Um, oh yeah, here it is. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. It says, for example, there was God's promise to Abraham. It's talking back to this time. And it says this, since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name. Listen to me, God created an if-then covenant and you're invited in, but here's the thing, we don't have to pay for it. And if we fail, and if we turn around, and if we break covenant, we don't have to worry about this fate. We are always welcomed right back in to this relationship. But how? 
How did Abram enter into this covenant? Our Bible tells us. How did he enter into this covenant? It was by faith. By faith. What did God do? He counted Abram's faith as righteousness. That word righteousness means right relationship. The covenant has not been broken. You're in right relationship. How? Just like Abraham, we are made right in our covenant with God by faith. By faith. The good news is this. We get to be partners with God. We get to partner with the Holy Spirit Church. First we read at the very beginning after worship earlier, you are not your own. Your body does not belong to you. Why? Because Jesus paid a very large price for you. Jesus walked through the covenant ceremony alone for you so that you could enter in by faith. what I want to encourage you with today. Go ahead and remember Isaiah, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. But I also want you this week to actively look for opportunity to partner with God. That's what we've already done here in this place this morning whenever there was moments of, hey, what, what are we going to do now? Do we keep worshiping? Do we go into the Word? Do we pray? Do we... What were we doing? We were saying, God, we want to partner with you. I want to encourage you this week. Look for ways to partner with God. As you go to work, say, God, what is your purpose? What is your will in my workplace today? Let me partner with you. As you go to that relationship that's kind of been on the edge. Just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me to partner with you as you desire this relationship to be healed and made whole again. Help me partner with you. And can I lovingly say this? Would you stand with me today, please? And can I lovingly say this to you today? Just, I want to be real gentle when I say this, but you're not that smart. <laughs> You're not that strong. You're not that good. I'm not either. <laughs> but God is. And he has invited us into this partnership with him. And the way to enter it is by faith. If you're here this morning, you say, I, 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 don't, I don't know if I'm saved. <laughs> Can I encourage you today? You've been invited into this partnership with God. The way to enter is by faith. If you've been faced with a difficult situation, can I let you know you've been invited into this partnership and you can trust and have faith that God will see you through it. The way, to in, the way into this covenant partnership is through faith.